The following resource is presented by the Counseling and Conference Services of IOM America. We want to welcome you to the Identity Matters podcast and I am Radio Broadcast Network. Hi, my name is Dr. Finney and I will be your host today. Within this podcast, we cover the identity issues related to a true, authentic, born-again, indwelled believer. Also want to welcome our new partners, UBC FM and Life FM and Hits FM, all from West Uganda. For those of you who are new to our podcast or our broadcast, our focus is on your identity in Christ. Identity in Christ has become a very popular term that is used on the internet now. Never used to be, but it is. Because people are realizing the importance of truly knowing what your identity is. Now, most people, when you talk to them about identity, they will typically go to cultural issues that are going on in the world, like gender identity. That's just a new buzz for the new thing that's going around and trending. Identity has been a real big deal all the way from the garden. And that's where we're going to start today. The title of our message is Grace 101 in the beginning. Now before we get started in in the beginning, I want to ask you a question by the power of the Holy Spirit in the name of Jesus Christ. I'm asking that you let this question go deep into your mind and heart. Don't blow it off with A text message to me saying, no, I don't do that. I want you to think through this one. Maybe even pray through this one. Here it is. Do you expect God to change his sovereign plan to match your schedule or your agenda? So I want you to think about that. What really is one of our big cultural issues today is that The term grace or the word grace is used in a very lighthearted way. It it doesn't have a great deal of meat to it. It's just got to do with another word that the world's using, acceptance. But in reality, grace itself is not only meaty, it has a lot of requirements to it. And it requires a great sacrifice to have it. So what does sovereignty have to do with grace? Sovereignty is, if I write something out in my calendar, maybe even a year in advance, I have everything set on who I'm going to visit, on what day, what hour, where I'm going to go to preach and teach, etc., etc., etc. Let's just pretend I laid it out for a whole year. Now the way humanoids function is as we enter each day, we adjust the schedule, right? 
because of stuff that's going on in our lives. Correct? That is a human approach to changing things that are in the schedule because we're under stress. Or because, you know, something we thought was more important has entered the schedule. So whatever was in the schedule can always wait till tomorrow. Now, if you function like that throughout the entire year of your schedule that you laid out for an entire year, someone please tell me what is going to happen to your overall objectives that you put into your calendar. In my case, the book I was supposed to write for that year is never going to be written. Or the emails I wanted to post, I'll never write those articles. Because there's constantly things entering the day for you to change the schedule to make your day more convenient. That, my dear listener, is exactly, listen carefully, it's exactly how Satan functions with God's sovereignty. Now let's take a very practical look at God's sovereignty and human will. God's sovereignty says that I need to meet with Shannon to explain to him blah, blah, blah. And this is, I know within my heart's heart, is what God wants me to do with Shannon. May I have permission, Shannon, to use you as a life story? Thursday night... I spent hours and hours preparing for our meeting. I know meetings come in Thursday because we have it scheduled for Thursday. I get a text from Shannon, and Shannon says, um, I'm flat out tired today. It's 4 o'clock. Could we cancel for tonight? Now, when I got that text, not only was it shortly before we were to meet, when I got that text... I was ramped up for this meeting. I had typed notes. I got into scriptures. I had other file things I wanted to go through that were related to the board. And then I read this text. And what do you think happens in my mind? That's exactly what that, that's exactly what my response was. I, Look at my phone and I go, no, this is not happening. I was talking to my phone. <laughs> so, of course, I text him, you know, an appropriate text message saying, no, this is a very important meeting. We need to meet. And how would you have described our meeting? Amazing. One of the best meetings we've had. And we stayed a lot later. <laughs> and that's what I went away with, too, as I'm driving home. The Lord says, For I, thy Lord, thy God, have accomplished my mission. Period. Thank you, Stephen. That's all I needed to know. You see, sovereignty is immovable. Humanity is constantly shifting and tossed by waves. So the enemy is just a big bunch of wind. He's constantly blowing and tossing people to the right and to the left and whatever. So here's what a courageous, as Jane mentioned in our discussion time, 
confident person does is they say, instead of doing the belligerent rebellion thing, here's what they do. They say, I want you, God, to adjust your sovereignty to this timetable. If you're going to show up, if you expect me to listen to you, if you expect me to take notes on what you want me to do for that meeting or whatever, it must be done here. So we present our schedules to the Lord as if he needs to change his sovereignty to match that schedule. So God's real busy erasing his own, sticking in, you know, Steve's and sticking in Shannon's. And that will not happen. So the other thing that has to happen is what Jane was speaking of. We have to create this fake Christian life and put the demands on the body of Christ to change things for them when it really is a confession that they are selfish and rebellious to the sovereignty of God. On my last trip, someone was concerned about the pace I was keeping. Some meetings were going till 2 in the morning strongly encouraged me to say no to some people. My response to them immediately was, I've never had energy like this for a long time. I am compelled to meet with every single person the Lord puts in front of me. And then I got rebuked. I'd like to see you take a guy like Paul and try to adjust the sovereignty that God has put inside his brain to show up at a particular place where Apollos and these 12 disciples were and and to just adjust things because Paul was tired and exhausted as well as anyone who was in ministry back then. Now let's bring it into our culture today. The current rage in our culture today is grace. See, what grace is, is excusing, write this one down please, grace is excusing sovereignty to the world. When we are excusing sovereignty, we're saying, this just doesn't fit into my thinking right now. This just doesn't fit into my beliefs. This doesn't fit right now into what I want to do with my immoral life. If you think, listener, that immorality has got to do with you going out and having sex with someone outside of your spouse, you do not know what the term immorality means. It is not always directly associated with an act of sex. Any action that dismisses, excuses the sovereignty of God will put you into immorality instantly. When we look at our culture today, this term grace is being used like the word peanut butter. It's like a spread. You're bound to hear a term that has been more than popular in the world today. And that is, God loves you just the way that you are. That's the opening line many quote-unquote Christians are using to minister to someone in grace. God loves you just the way that you are. 
That's a disastrous lie. And here's the proof, listener. If it was not a disastrous lie, why in God's name would he have to send his son to give us new life? Why in God's name would the son of God, Jesus Christ, is put inside of us to have his mind, to have the mind of Christ, so that he can renew our minds that are all twisted up. I know people in this room that require God to excuse sovereignty, dismiss sovereignty, to keep to their own timeline. So if you're thinking that's just the bad boys carrying guns, or those rebellious people who are constantly crabby, you're not getting the full picture here. We join God's sovereignty, his plan, his schedule. He's written it out a whole lot further than one year out. It's forever that way and forever that way. And John, in his vision, he was literally brought up into God's schedule. Look down that way, John. Look past down that way, John. Look right now. It's all the same. I don't divide it up into 24-hour time scheduled boxes like you humanoids do. And it all goes perfectly together. Perfectly. Nothing is not going to happen. And if you choose to dismiss my sovereignty, you don't understand the power of grace. So due to this reality that our culture literally has stolen the true word grace, and they've brought it in and massaged it into the culture, you find a lot of indwell Christians that God has made evident within them Buying and adopting this product of this worldly definition of grace. And when we adopt this worldly definition of grace, we're dismissing God's sovereignty. You see, because if a part of leading someone to the life of grace is telling them they're going to go to hell, Didn't that used to be a part of the way you shared the gospel with someone? Do you not know that you will go to hell if you do not receive Jesus Christ as your life? Should get them to ask a question, well, I don't want that, what do I need to do? So back in the 40s and the 50s, it was pretty easy to walk someone to a decision of some type. And today, everyone's made the decision simply because they're living in their own grace. They've been graced by their pastor. They've been graced by their spouse. They've been graced by their disciple. Or they've been graced by everyone. God loves you just the way you are. Listener, please listen to this. He does not. He doesn't like you the way that you are. But see, he's able to separate his creation of who you are from your Adamic condition. 
identity-wise of who you are. He's not taking any listener today to heaven. Some of you are going to die before our next podcast. That's the facts. You're going to be dead before the next podcast. Some might even die during the podcast. You see, that's how I think. I don't think, well, I'm okay, and that was an awesome message, but um, the gospel is perfectly timed for everyone. And if grace is used on you like God loves you just the way you are, that is a flat-out lie from the pit of Hades. Because that's why the Father had to send His Son, because you're not acceptable to Him. And that is why you go to hell. Or right now it would be Hades. He sent His Son so that won't happen. And those who believe and then receive Him, He transfers them into the life of Jesus Christ. The first time that grace is used in the Old Testament is Ezra 9, verse 8. And it says, but now, for a brief moment, grace has been shown from the Lord our God to leave us an escape remnant and to give us a peg, a place in his holy place. Now you see, God could just say, I messed up here, and you're all going to hell. So be fruitful, multiply all you want, but everyone who's born is going to die and go to hell. I'm done with y'all. Finally, when you finally implode on each other, and the earth gets burned up for whatever reasons, I'm done with it. I gave you a chance at the garden, and it's over. So from the first murdering that took place with Adam, your son, and then what happened up to Noah, I don't care. Go to hell. You didn't listen to me the first time, go to hell. That is not what Jesus did. His love was so incredibly powerful. It is literally transcended down through every generation. To you listening right now, sitting in that pew or riding down the highway, God's love is so overwhelmingly powerful that he doesn't want you to slip into those who dismiss the sovereignty of God in their fake form of grace. It all started with God being life, eternal life, which is what 1 John 5.20 tells us. And we know that the Son of God has come and has given us understanding so that we may know him who is true. And we are in him who is true, his Son, Jesus Christ. This is the true God and eternal life. Most of us think eternal life is, oh, you die and you go to this place, it's a real cool place, you know, paradise, whatever. Well, that means you're still suffering off of kindergarten theology. 
Eternal life is literally Jesus' life. If we are born into sin, we have to be transferred or translated and dropped into, migrated first, integrated second, be infused third, into eternal life, which is Jesus. It isn't your paradise. It isn't heaven. It isn't when you, where you go after you've been a pretty good girl. It is Christ's life. Where did he get it? God the Father. He started out as the Alpha and the Omega. He ended in Alpha and Omega, even though there's never any end or beginning. Hebrews 13, 8 tells us that Jesus Christ is the same yesterday, today, and forever. He's not going to change. Your silly little doctrines and views of grace is is not going to change the real grace. And real grace includes exclusion. I hope you got that. Not everyone is going to be graced into heaven. That's the facts. 602-292-2982. Cuz that is not what the world and the Christian world believes today. They believe that God's grace applies to everyone. Grace has a price and someone paid it for you and there's only one way to have it. You have to be dropped into eternal life. In order to do that, you have to receive him. Eternal life has no beginning and end. Revelations twenty-two thirteen. Jesus himself said, I'm the Alpha. The beginning. And I am the Omega. So whatever is the beginning, none of us will ever know. Maybe not even when we get in heaven. But he is that. He didn't show up in the birth through the Virgin Mary. That's not when Jesus kicked things in here. His life had always been in existence. And so to be brought into humanity, he had to be born of flesh. It was just stepping into flesh. And it had to happen through a virgin, someone, a virgin who was not married yet. It had to happen during the engagement period. Because the engagement period is when the whole community sees if she gets pregnant during the engagement period, which was one full year, to see if she was pure. And that's when the groom would say, oh, you're pure. I will tie the knot. We know that's true about the principle of engagement in humanity today, correct? Right? If your girlfriend gets pregnant and you've got the wedding date set a year from the day you asked her to marry you, and she ends up getting pregnant, and you know you, you're you not the father? It's time to call things off, Joe. How is that different with Christianity? We, we're already communicated in the scriptures that 
our life here on earth as indwelt believers, oil in our lamp believers, we are free to confess that we're the best bride or the worst bride or in the middle bride or I'm covered with grace even though there's not any oil in my lamp. We can blab a a host of doctrines. It's not going to change the doctrines of the groom. What if the scriptures are correct in the sense that we are engaged. That's why I pray through that scripture in our prayer time. Betrothed. That means you're engaged. The wedding has not occurred yet. Someone please tell me when that wedding is going to occur. Our wedding. Jesus tying the knot will not happen here on earth. And I know there are certain Baptist believers or those of the Calvinists that have a real tough time with what's going on here on earth is an, is a betrothal time. It's testing the bride to see which one I'm going to marry, which one I'm going to seal the deal with. You think that Ten virgin illustration, Jesus just kind of came up with it to scare us a little bit. Keep oil in your lap or else you're in trouble. What, keep the Holy Spirit in our lives? Ask for constant filling every day? Maybe write a song about fill me up, O oh Lord? That's where we've gone. Because we're scared to death to face the reality that we just might not endure to the end. Those who endure to the end, 602-292-2982, those who endure to the end, you guys finish it. Those shall be saved. Those who have oil, the Holy Spirit, in their lamps, when the groom knocks on the door, that's all you have to show that groom as I have oil in my lamp. My dress is on. Take me away from this. And he will. You want a ticket? You better have oil in your lamp on the day the groom knocks on that door of humanity. Because that's all you're going to get. There's no relapping during the tribulation. There's no relapping after tribulation. When that knock comes, he's going to be looking for oil. And that oil is translated out as Holy Spirit. Believing that you have a lamp will not get you into the groom's arms. Believing that he's going to take you with him because you've literally dismissed the sovereignty of God through your terminology of grace. Jesus doesn't accept me the way that I am. I'm a filthy, wretched wreck without Christ. Nothing good dwells within me except for Jesus Christ. That's it. This body is not going with the groom. It's going to drop and stay with the dirt. And he has to give me a brand new body that I will live in for eternity. That's a clear picture 
that probably few are going to accept because no one likes to think about their children being eaten by the enemy. They don't even want to think about it. Better yet, no parent wants to think about that they fed their children to the enemy by their liberal statements of grace to their children. And they're growing up and they're denying Christ and they're renouncing their faith and they're doing all these crazy things in the world today. And the parents don't even realize that it's because they grew them up in this fake grace. When grace has a major sacrifice connected to it and a major condition. <laughs> you got to be in the life of Christ to have it. Why would God send anyone to hell who has been covered with grace? That's what I would call a stupid God. But see, he's not. It all makes sense in God's sovereignty. You liberal thinkers and believers and even indwelt Christians who are constantly asking God and his workers to adjust their schedule for your stupid schedules... And I'm in this same stupidity. If I think God is going to adjust for me because I'm not quite ready because I'm a perfectionist, I need a few more minutes to do whatever I'm doing. Every one of us as humans dismiss God's sovereignty on a daily basis. He's just asking us not to. We need to join him where he is at work, and do the work where he's at. And since God is love, and love is the action of grace, we're starting to see where the rubber hits the road with God being grace. So the one who does not love does not know God, for God is love. Well, you know, we did a thorough study on that months ago. But there's a direct connection that John is revealing to us here is that don't separate love from who he is. He is love. So when you read all of the scriptures and you see God, you know, tear down armies and you see God sending people to Hades and you see God doing all these you know, harsh kinds of things and modern thing today that people resist is a loving God would not send anyone to hell. Well, i got news for you. Not only will he, he has and he will to the end. If someone does not discover the believing and receiving. He is love. And since grace is the action of that love, that has to stay intact. So everything nasty about God, which I don't view as nasty, everything harsh about God, which I don't view as harsh, every actions of God in this heart of mine, I do view as an act of grace. You have to do the logic on that because you'll have to do your own little mental research on hell, damnation, demons. There's a lot of nasty things that God allows to destroy people. Grace is not a light-hearted topic. God as grace is unconditional. 
even of those who hate him. Romans 5.8 says, But God demonstrates his own love toward us, in that while we were yet sinners, Christ died for us. He doesn't expect anyone to clean themselves up or sound Christian or whatever. Well, sounding Christian is the worst deception, so I encourage listeners right now, if you are yet a sinner, act like a sinner. (laughs) Don't bring that crap into the church. Go act like a sinner. Identify yourself as a sinner. Brag about it. Put it on a billboard. Write a book. I am a sinner. Subtitle, this book proves it. You see, those are honest people I love working with. You know, I'm not one of your believers. Excellent. You see, but when they come into the church dressed as Christians, they sound like Christians, they get haircuts like Christians, they got all the Christianese buzzwords down. You with me? Well, who's going to be able to tell if that's a goat or a sheep? Could you, um, excuse me, uh, Jim, come in. He comes over and you go, now, uh, repeat after me. Do goats sound like sheep? They do. Oh boy, that didn't work. Um, come here, let me, let me uh, check your fur out. You see, there's even biblical examples in the Bible that talk about goats disguising themselves as sheep. And we even have cartoons. We even have a famous The Boy Cries Wolf story and, 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 and. It is a difficult thing to do to look at someone who sounds like a sheep, kind of looks like a sheep. And we're just not quite sure. I can tell you, listener, how to do it. Light a match. And set their bottom on fire. Put them under trials and tribulation. That's what God does. And in the end, you'll see if they endure to the end. And I'm, I'm telling you, listener, only the sheep will endure to the end. That's it. Because the goats don't like fire. And sheep, for some reason, just willingly go to the slaughter, don't they? Because they're sheep. Goats will not go to the slaughter willingly. They will not. They run. Because they're independent. Yeah, exactly. Who's going to catch them? God as grace is sacrificial as a 1 John 4, 9 through 10 says. By this, the love of God was manifested in us, that God has sent his only son into the world that we might live through him. So we got in and through in this love, not that we love God, but that he loved us first. So this lovey-dovey, mushy-mushy, I accept my gay friend, I accept my, you know, your acceptance is not going to get them to heaven. Well, if I give them the grace of God, what, you being gay are going to give someone else grace? Can you show me how this is going to work? 
Because grace includes judgment. Grace includes sending someone to hell. Grace includes redeeming someone. Grace includes literally giving that person a brand new life. Can you do all that through your grace? You cannot. It's fruitless. It's demonic. God as grace is graceful. Romans 3.24 Being justified as a gift by his grace through the redemption which is in Christ Jesus. And then God as grace is merciful. Of course, famous passage is Romans 6.23 For the wages of sin is That translates out as Hades, folks. For the wages of sin is Hades. But the free, free gift of God is eternal life in Christ Jesus our Lord. That eternal life, forever past, present, future, is Jesus' life. That's where the answer is. There's got to be some kind of receiving here. If you think that you're going to get up on your tallest ladder and jump into eternal life by using your gracialistic terminology, you're going to bounce off. There's only one way into that life, and it's through death. The death of Jesus Christ and, by the way, your death. Of who you were, your identity. Everything that was a part of your identity, from gender identity stuff all the way to pride stuff of being an educated person, all of it has to go off. It just has to be shredded down to nothingness. And then Christ picks you up, transfers you over, and puts you inside of himself. Because you're nothing. If you carry over stuff, it's like stuff in your casket with your favorite toys. Well, bury them instead of give them to your grandkids. And that's what a lot of people want to do. They just, they, they control every, they're control freaks. They want to control everything on earth to be able to secure this, secure that, to whatever. That's why a good friend of mine, worldview teacher, even wrote a book on it. Stealing from God. Of course, the subtitle is Atheist. Steal from God. You see, that's the way even those who say, I will refuse to believe, they're stealing from God, His sovereignty. I see, I get that message. I'm just calling it dismissing the sovereignty of God or demanding God to change His schedule for you. And then we take those decisions lightly when I can assure you, God does not. So God as grace is persistent. He just does not stop. God created all things through grace, all the way back to the garden. The tree of knowledge was created by grace. The tree of life was created by grace. The entire garden was created by grace. He put Satan in the garden, if you don't think that, not twisted in here. Why would God put Satan in this beautiful garden that has not become sin yet and stick him in one of those trees? 
Now, logic would say, I have created in grace Adam and Eve, as well as all of creation, and I don't want anyone to touch it, so therefore I'm going to put a nine-foot fence around this garden. Well, wait, I don't have to do that because there's no evil in the world. Oh, you guys can just have the whole world in your hands. No, everything was by boundaries. Everything was put in place. Then he takes Satan and sticks him in one of those trees. And you've got the tree of knowledge and you have the tree of life. Life has got nothing to do with knowledge. The tree of knowledge has everything to do with knowledge. And so he says to Adam, Do not eat from this tree. For if you do, you will surely be sent to Hades. We use English words to make us feel better, but I'm telling you, you read from pictorial Hebrew, and it is almost shocking how God talked to people. Very, very graphic. From burning, to eating, to sex... Very graphic. But no, it's embarrassing for us. So we change the words to comfort the souls. The garden scene was so clearly laid out to say to Adam, it's your choice. Because see, he could have arranged it any way he wanted. And of course, Adam was firm in his belief, right? He was living in grace, walking in grace. He was created in grace. There was no sin in him. There was no sin in the dirt yet. He had the full meal deal. He didn't need to go eat from the tree of life. He was life. Adam and Eve were life. They were in eternal life. And it started out as a jumping out. You see, today we have to jump in. But it started out as a jumping out of eternal life. And God set it up. And so he said, whatever you do, Adam. I mean, you can eat from any of the trees. You can farm it. You can, you know, get some fur from the Do whatever. Do not eat from this tree. For if you do, you will go to Hades. Which is where I'm sending the one in the tree. You want to go with him? Well, he didn't give him that many details. He just said, do not eat from this tree. God's presence leaves. Adam goes about his work, tending the garden. And Satan watched the whole thing, listened to the whole discussion. Snake of, of deceiver that he is. He doesn't say, hey, Adam, come here. I got this idea. Come here, come here. You know, logically speaking, God's right. I'll give him that. But you know what? I want you to examine this tree and just tell me if there's anything on this tree that you think will hurt you. No, he didn't go to Adam. Because leaders cannot be moved back then. Satan works and works and works to go after the leaders, 
but he knows the most successful venue is through the woman. Because she's a helper. She's not weak. That weak description of her doesn't mean less. It means more. She is the representative of the Holy Spirit. This is a very significant thing of Satan going after the representation of the Holy Spirit. The power element of the relationship. Men will shift to women, whether the woman's walking by in a miniskirt or whether the woman is acting dominant in her home. Men just kowtow. The reason why it's true is because it's true. Satan knew this. I had to go through Eve because Eve's job is to care for her husband. And why should Adam ever question what food I give him? Why would he question? So his scheme worked and he went through Eve and she ate from the fruit. And Hades started taking over her life instantly. And she goes, I'm not doing this alone. Hey, Adam, I got this awesome fruit. You know, she gives him the fruit he eats too in same condition. They're out of eternal life. So the whole process is to bring people back to that decision. That's the cleanest picture I can give you. Started by them leaping out, it ends by people leaping in. By belief and receiving. God demonstrates his grace through relationships. That should be very obvious for anyone who has been walking in and through Christ Jesus for a year or more. But he's all about being a friend. He's all about loving us. He's all about cuddling us. He's all about leading us, guiding us, spanking us. He pretty much does the whole meal deal. God is eternal life. He's the spirit. He's love and he's grace. This is who he is, this is who he was, this is who he will be forever and ever into the future. In the beginning there was grace and grace abundantly. His nature is forever, past, present, and future. He began his acts of grace with humans by creating them with a choice. The greatest action of grace is revealed in the creation of two trees, the tree of knowledge and the tree of life, or tree of spirit, or tree of love, or tree of grace. It's all the same. Thus releasing man and woman to choose whom they will serve. Will it be beliefs pouring out from the tree of knowledge, or receiving through the spirit of the tree of life? We already know the decision that Adam and Eve made. It was the same decision that people are making in our culture today. There's nothing wrong with that fruit. There's nothing wrong with knowledge. There's nothing wrong with learning more. There's nothing wrong with replicating. There's nothing wrong with religious acts. That's all from a different tree than the tree of life. Next week we're going to be talking about the design of grace. We're going to go back into the garden a little bit and look look at some more details. But we certainly hope that you will join us for Grace 102 
the design of grace. This resource has been presented by the Counseling and Conference Services of IOM America. For more information about our ministries, visit us online at iomamerica.org. That's iomamerica.org.